Shalom and welcome to Shomer Mitzvot, Torah Observant, a series on practical messianic living and apologetics. I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It always has been and always will be. The Torah proper instructed the people of Israel to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your resources. This is where Shomer Mitzvot begins, by loving Hashem and accepting Him on His terms. By this, I mean accepting His means of covenant obedience. For today, this means acceptance of Yeshua, His only Son, for Jew and non-Jew alike. Shalom, shalom. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi, and you're listening to Exegeting Galatians, a Messianic Jewish commentary. Let's open with prayer. Avino Malkino, our Father, our King, Lord, we thank you that we are able to sit and study your words afresh. Holy Spirit, we know that you have uh, given us uh, the desire to press in. We know that left to ourselves, we are actually quite lazy. We're, we're not diligent. We don't seek you the way we should. And so for that reason, Lord, we need your assistance. We need your guidance. We need your help to uh, understand. We know, that, um, we know that these words are living and that they are a document that is uh, uh, designed to, uh, to uh, govern our lives uh, each and every day. So, Lord, we need to press in daily to, to find um, uh, instruction afresh. And we thank you, Lord, that this is, in fact, our mandate. You have um, promised that you would go with us. You've uh, given us this great commission uh, to go and to all the nations and to preach and, and as we're preaching, uh, to baptize. And Lord, we know that this is not going to be an easy task. And so for that reason, we have also been commanded to put on the armor. And if we do not bear this armor, Lord, we will not be able to be, uh, we'll not be able to withstand the assault. For we know it's not really a physical battle, Lord. It's a spiritual battle. And for that reason, uh, our weapons are not uh, our weapons are not of the earth. They're, our weapons themselves are, are spiritual, and so we've got to have the armor on. Help us to continue to um, be filled with the Spirit, so that we can uh, love you with our heart, with our soul, with our mind, with our strength, and that we can also love our neighbor as ourselves. Indeed, if we're not walking by the Spirit, well, then we will find ourselves walking in the flesh, and that's not the walk we want. Forgive us, Lord, where we fail you. Help us to continue to uh, seek forgiveness when we fail. Uh, help us to continue to lift one another up in prayer. Uh, be with me tonight and with the students as we continue to press into the book of Galatians to seek to understand Paul's cryptic words, uh, knowing that, as Peter mentioned, they are, there are quite some difficult things to understand, but we don't want to misuse them for our destruction. We'll be careful, Lord, to give you the praise and the glory in all of these things. B'shem Yeshua. Amen. Well, I'd like to welcome everyone out to another uh, week of Exegeting Galatians. If you're joining me live, just want to remind everyone uh, to mute your microphones if you're in the Skype room with me. And uh, also remind you that each week after the 45-minute teaching that we will engage in a kind of a 45-minute Q&A or chat session where we can just kind of uh, go over what we've heard or share whatever thoughts are on our mind. Uh, let's date stamp the recording. Today is, well, we're in a new month here, March the 4th, 2017. And if I'm correct, I think this is week 55, week 55 of our study. So we're moving right along. If you'd like to join us each week, you're certainly welcome to um, set your calendar or set your, your timer for 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, just Whatever time zone you're in, just adjust it according to what I just said. 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Um, you'll need Skype to uh, see the screens and to listen to the audio. Uh, if not, if you're not able to join us each week live by Skype, well, then you're certainly welcome to join us uh, after the fact, meaning 
I record every audio session and I upload them to iTunes and to my website and that way you can listen to them uh, afterwards. Uh, head on out to my website www.tatesaitora.com and click on the link on the top that says Galatians Commentary. You should find all the information you need there for the live study as well as the uh, written notes to the commentary. You can follow along that way as well. Okay, let's entertain some liturgy, just a little bit of Hebrew and a little bit of Greek, and then uh, we'll jump into the study. We'll borrow the same liturgy that we used last week, and hopefully I fare a little better in the Hebrew. Don't understand why languages are just a funny thing with me. Um, I can read five of them, but I can I have to kind of toggle my mind into whichever one I want to read at the moment. So I just could not get that Hebrew switch clicked over last week. All right, let's see what we got. For those of you who are on the uh, Skype uh, session with me tonight should have that on your screen Genesis 15 and we're going to read from the ESV just the same six verses first six verses that we read last week since this is the section that we're focusing on Genesis 15 1 through 6 ESV reads number uh, verse 1 after these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision fear not Abram I am your shield your reward shall be very great but Abram said O Lord God, what will you give me, for I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, you shall, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside, and said, Look toward heaven, and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Okay, let's jump over to some Hebrew. Uh, let's see, what do I want to use? I think I'll just go verse by verse. Uh, for those of you who are with me in the screen, this might I'm going to try something a little new. I'll pull up the Hebrew, and this time uh, 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 BibleHub.com is providing what's called a text analysis which allows us to see from left to right, we've got a column with the Strong's numbers, and then we've got the transliterated Hebrew, if that helps you read it. And then right down in the third column, uh, going from top to bottom, we've got the Hebrew itself, uh, the Hebrew script, and then we've got an English translation of it, and then the morphology, which provides us with kind of the parts of speech, you know, noun, verb, adjective, adverb, those things like that. So we'll see if this is, uh, see if this will help, okay? All right, um, the Hebrew reads, Achar hadvarim adonai. And I want to pause and just uh, bring to your attention this davar adonai, this word of the Lord. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. All right, so, Achar hadvarim adonai el avram ba-machazelimor al-tira avram anuchi magain Lach Sacharcha Harbe Meud. And let's read verse 2. Verse 2 reads, Vayomer Avram Adonai Hashem. And I say Adonai Hashem because it's really the, the, the tetragrammaton name, uh, at least I believe the original before the Masoretes changed some things around. I think the, the original had um, the tetragrammaton name twice, but now we end up with Adonai and then the tetragrammaton name. We'll talk about that perhaps tonight as well. So we've got Vayumer Avram Adonai Hashem Ma Titen Liv Anochi Cholech Ariri Uven Meshech Beitihu the Mesech Eli Etzer. And verse three, which is a little shorter. Uh, Vayumer Avram Hain Li Lo Natata Zara. Vahine ven beti yoresh oti. And verse 4. Oops, try and get the whole thing in there. There we go. Vahine davar adonai. There's our davar adonai again, the word of the Lord. Vahine, suddenly, uh, or and behold, as we've got it translated here. Davar uh, adonai a lively more. Lo yirashka ze kiim asher. Yetse mimecha hu yirashcha. And verse 5. This one's a little longer. Vayotse oto 
ha-chutza vayomer ha-betna, ha-shamayma usfor ha-kochavim, im tuchal lispor otam, vayomer lo ko ye zarecha. And the final pasuk, vehe-amin ba-adonai, vayach sheveha lo tzedaka. All right. Let's go to some New Testament verses, and we'll pull the Greek from that as well. Galatians 3, the same uh, liturgy we read last week, just the first six verses. Paul is going to quote from Genesis 15, 6, and this is why we're using this particular liturgy again. Galatians 3, 1 through 6, we'll read from ESV again as well. It reads, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. There's that uh, Greek for us, or that uh, phrase, that passage lifted out of the uh, uh, Hebrew verses again, the Tanakh. All right, let's pull the Greek as well. Uh, same thing, we'll just do what we did with the Hebrew. Uh, I've got Strong's over on the left, got transliteration next. Got the Greek right down the middle, and then we got some English, and then the morphology. And this time, the Greek morphology includes not only the parts of speech, but it also includes the um, the uh, what we might call the, um, um, the 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 pieces of Greek that tell us which vo- voice, which mood, um, what kind of um, uh, you know the extra pieces. I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but. It gives us more than just the, the, the nouns, the verbs, and the adjectives, things like that. All right, let's read the Greek. We've got, O anoitoi galatai tishumas abaskanen. And then we've got the, uh, the, the, um, the, alternate, uh, the, the alternate versions in, print, in brackets here. Te aletheia me pethestai. Then we go back to this version. Hois kat aphthalmus Jesus Christus pregrafe esta romanos. And verse 2. Tutamanan thelo mathen afhuman humon ex ergonamu to pnuma elabete a ex akois pistios. Verse 3. Hutos anoi toi este enarxamanoi pnuma tinun sariki epateleste. Verse 4. Dosauta Pathete, A.K. A.G. Kai A.K. Verse five, a little longer. Ho un epikorgon, human top numa kai in ergon dunames, en human ex ergonamu, a ex akois pistios. And the final pasuk, verse six, which is the one that quotes from the Genesis passage. Katos Abraham epistusin to theu, kai elogiste auto eis decaiusune. Okay, let's entertain the commentary. We're on the top of page 107. We left off last week where we've been talking about these first few verses out of the book of Genesis. And we're really focusing on what I'm describing as the, uh, I think, the grammatical clue in the passage as to who or what is this word of the Lord that suddenly shows up. Remember verse 1, uh, if you recall from Genesis, um, give me a second, let me just pull it up so you can see it. Uh, let's go back up to 15.1, and this time let me just switch over to all Hebrew. Um in, the, in Hebrew, we've got this Devar Adonai that shows up in verse 1. Achar hadavrim ha'eleh haya, Devar Adonai. And after these things, uh, the word of the Lord showed up, came, behold, right? Behold, the word of the Lord showed up. And then in verse 4, we've got this same feature, this Devar Adonai. And so I think if we were to kind of zoom out and look at... Uh, some more of the, the of the narrative in the Hebrew, 
we would see that this Devar Adonai, this word of the Lord, is having this dialogue with Abraham. And I suggest, I think that there's a that, that there's a, a hint as to um, perhaps a little bit more than meets the eye, meaning I don't think it's just God speaking. I think it's actually a little bit more. So let's, before I get ahead of myself, let me read the commentary. Uh, let's start reading right here. We'll see how far we can go. I'm going to ask this cryptic question. Who or what was this mysterious word of the Lord that suddenly appeared in the parenthesis of the narrative with Avram? Now, for us, for those of us who are Christians, I think it's quite apparent that this word of the Lord is none other than Yeshua incarnate. Word of the Lord that we read about in John 1, John 1, 1, and John 1, 14. We know that in the beginning was the word. I mentioned this last week. In the beginning was the word. The word was made flesh. Uh, so we know that, that John really is going to explain to us but we're going to see that I think that even the sages of Yeshua's day, the, the rabbis, the teachers of his day, really shouldn't have missed what was going on in the Genesis passage. If you ask your average Jew today what's going on in Genesis 15, they're not going to tell you, oh, of course, that's the Messiah there, that's Yeshua. At least I don't think they're going to. And I think that's probably because of their defensive posture, their, their, their polemic attitude against anything that smacks of New Testament theology. But... I think what we're going to find is if we were to allow the uh, the, the ancient rabbinic uh, Jewish teachings that were uh, being circulated kind of before there was a lot of what I'm going to call Christian interference in the scene, um, I think we're going to find that actually the, 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 there's really a lot of agreement with this idea of the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord being the um, personification of, of, the, of the power of the Lord in, in a form that's other than the Lord himself. What do I mean? Let's read my commentary. Let's let the sages of blessed memory, whom I call the Chazal, let's, let's let them add their input to this Hebraic feature of the story. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to start quoting from um, some pieces uh, that uh, are available to anyone, if you, anyone with an internet connection these days, uh, let's use our first source is going to be the Jewish Encyclopedia. And let's see what it has to say. Oh, by the way, uh, last week I mentioned that um, the word of the Lord suddenly appeared. And we, this word suddenly, the hine, that I read in um, verse 4 of the Genesis passage. Vehine davar adonai. This first word in the Hebrew, vehine davar adonai. And behold, the word of the Lord appeared to Abraham. Let's see what the um, Jewish authorities have to say about this word hine. In my footnote to my commentary number 98, I, I added this note. Quote, the Hebrew word hine is explained by Jewish authorities as, quote, untranslatable. It's often rendered in verses as either hear or behold, like we had in our uh, ESV. ESV has that, I think. But... According to these, uh, according to this uh, source that I'm quoting, this is only an approximation of an expression that really has no equivalent in the Indo-European languages. For this reason, it is often left untranslated. And according, to, when I say untranslated, you're going to find that in many English translations as well as many Jewish versions. They're not even going to translate the word hine. In general, it serves to intensify a statement and to provide emphasis. Here, the intensity denotes that it was sudden or intense experience. Thus, we get our phrase, Behold, or suddenly the word of the Lord showed up. And I pulled that information from Navigating the Bible Online Commentary to Genesis 15.4. I thought that might be interesting for you to know. Okay, let's look at my commentary, and let's pull a quote from the Jewish Encyclopedia. And according to my footnote number 99, this is from pages 464 through 465 of the Jewish Encyclopedia. It reads, speaking of this idea of the word of the Lord, I'm going to begin to uh, share with some Christians this, this, that, that the, the notion of saying that the word of the Lord is, is Yeshua and, and using the John 1.1 and John 1.14 passages as our cue, I don't think that the Christians really invented that idea. What I mean by that is I think it was a it was an existing Jewish concept that the word of the Lord was more than just uh, a, a, a scribal notation from Moshe. Instead of writing just Adonai, you know, the Tetragrammat's name, why did he suddenly write Davar Adonai? What was Moshe trying to hint at? So let's see what the Jewish sages had to say about this. Quote, 
In Scripture, the word of the Lord, end quote, the word of the Lord, that, that, that phrase, commonly denotes the speech addressed to patriarch or prophet. And we've got some, re- some uh, Bible references out of Genesis, Numbers, uh, 1 Samuel, as well as Amos. But it frequently, frequently, I'm sorry, it denotes also the creative word. Listen to this quote from the book of Psalms. Quote, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made, end quote. That's Psalms. And we can compare, quote, for he spake and it was done, end quote, as well as, quote, he sendeth his word and melteth them, speaking of the ice. Another quote, fire and hail, snow and vapors, stormy wind fulfilling his word, end quote. These are also from the book of Psalms. So we see, uh, the Jewish encyclopedia goes on to say, we see that in this sense, it is said, quote, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven, end quote. Another, another lift from the book of Psalms. Quote, the word heard and announced by the prophet, according to this source, often became in the conception of the seer an efficacious power that was apart from God as was the angel or messenger of God. Now let's pull a quote from Isaiah. Quote, The Lord sent a word unto Jacob, and it hath lighted upon Israel. End quote. That's from the book of Isaiah. And um, we got another quote here from the book of Psalms. Quote, He sent his word and healed them. End quote. And then we can compare this to another passage out of the book of Psalms. Quote, His word runneth very swiftly. End quote. So these are... These are ideas that are beginning to give us the idea that perhaps the word of the Lord is the Lord, but is a separate person, is a separate concept. Let's keep reading my commentary. I just go, I come right out and say this because this is really Christianese. The word of the Lord is in fact the Lord Adonai himself. We know that in fact the word of the Lord is the Lord. That's why we can read with confidence from John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. This much is made clear by the objective text in the book of Genesis. We know that the word of the Lord is the Lord himself. Abraham's not having a dialogue with another god is the point I'm trying to make. Uh, The subsequent notations that we observed in Hebrew via the footnotes that I read last week also show us that we're not talking about another god that suddenly slips in here between God and Abraham and starts talking with God. But let's take it one step further to complete the mystery. Um, many of us are aware that in Hebrew we have a kind of a sister language that was being used in the first century quite, uh, uh, quite um, uh, popularly, and it was the Aramaic language. Um, some people say that Yeshua and his disciples spoke Aramaic. Others say they spoke Hebrew. Uh, I haven't decided either way myself. Uh, I know that Hebrew was, was more of the temple language, and perhaps maybe the common language was Aramaic. And uh, as such, we've got some Aramaic copies that have survived down to this day of um, prominent passages out of the New Testament. Uh, The sister language to Hebrew is Aramaic, and the translation of the word word itself, which uh, is um, devar, in Aramaic it becomes ma'amar, ma'amar, from which we get the word in Hebrew, the noun memra, memra. And... Some of you have heard this before. This is kind of this mystical idea of the Memra. Since the Hebrew word, the W-O-R-D, was already identified, the capital W-O-R-D was already identified in Jewish circles as possessing personality, as I mentioned from my quote from the uh, uh, the, um, uh, what was that just a moment ago? The um, Jewish Encyclopedia. Um, since we've got this idea of the word, capital W-I-D, W-O-R-D, possessing personality, the corresponding memra in the Aramaic likewise took on identity. This is really a fascinating study that I'm just going to kind of read down through and not stop too much to uh, comment on because it's kind of self-explanatory. Basically, what I want to let you all know, and this is really a kind of a, a, a um, an excursus, it's not really uh, tantum, it's not really... Uh, 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 crucial that we understand all of this information as it relates to the book of Galatians, but it is um, interesting nevertheless. The early Jewish theologians, <clears throat> excuse me, the early Jewish theologians define the Memra or the Word of God with six different characteristics. 
And uh, in the first portion of his gospel, Yohanan, John, associates each of these qualifications with their messianic fulfillment in Yeshua. So I've been um, referencing John 1. Let's go ahead and kind of flesh this out and look at these six claims. I cannot remember exactly where I pulled this information. I think I got it from a, a, a messianic friend of mine down through the years, and as such I forgot to uh, quote the source. I apologize, um, but nevertheless here it is. Uh, number one, according to the, the rabbinic sages, according to uh, um, uh, kind of rabbinic theology on this Memra, we've got these six. Number one, Memra is defined as, as distinct yet the same as God. And we, here's what I say in my commentary. This struggle as to the nature of Hashem persists to his day. Messianic Jews point to the use of the term Echad as a composite unity to assist in the explanation of this issue. Yohanan in John 1.1 stated, quote, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that's a quote from the complete Jewish Bible by David Stern. Yeshua himself spoke of the fulfillment of this attribute about being the same as God when he stated, quote, I and the Father are one. That's, of course, Yohanan 10.30 out of the CAB. Let's keep going. Number two, according to the Jewish authorities, the second attribute of the Memra, the Word of God, was that it was the agent of creation. Yohanan states that Yeshua fulfills this in Yohanan 1.3. And we read, quote, All things came to be through him, and without him nothing made had been made. End quote. Of course, Shaul succinctly stated this as well in Colossians 1.15b-16, referring to Yeshua. Let's read that quote. He, speaking of Yeshua, is supreme over all creation, because in connection with him were created all things, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, lordships, rulers, or authorities. They have all been created through him and for him." Quote. All right, number three. The third attribute stated that the Memra was the agent of salvation. This is claimed in Yohanan 1.12, quote, but as to many as did receive him, to those who put their trust in his person and power, he gave the right to become children of God. End quote. Also, Yeshua stated his role as agent of salvation several times, most forcefully in Yohanan, in John 14.6b, which reads, quote, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. End quote. All right, it's getting interesting here, right? Number four, the fourth Jewish attribute of the Memra was that Memra was the agent of theophany. What is a theophany? It's the visible presence of God. Again, Yohanan 1.14 reads, quote, The Word became a human being and lived with us, and we saw his Shekhinah, the Shekhinah of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth, end quote. And again, that's David Stern's version because in the Hebrew, I'm sorry, in the your other English versions, it says like the grace or the glory of the Father's only Son, something like that. Shekhinah is really a, a rabbinic term that shows up not really in the Hebrew at all. So we've got Yeshua revealing the, 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 the presence of the Father, the face of the Father, the glory of the Father visibly. Indeed, one might consider the incarnation reality of God and Messiah, Yeshua, to be a kind of a prolonged theophany of sorts, without straining the uh, the analogy there. As Shaul forthrightly stated in Colossians 1.15a concerning Yeshua, quote, He, speaking of the Messiah, is the visible image of the invisible God. End quote. All right, number five, the fifth attribute of Memra, according to the Jewish sages, was that of being the agent of covenant signing. This is getting interesting. In Yohanan 1.17, again, we're, we're really sticking to John because he's the one that kind of brings out uh, a lot of the fullness of Yeshua and his, his equality with God. In John 1.17, the author writes, quote, For the Torah was given through Moshe, grace and truth came through Yeshua the Messiah, end quote. Notice the version I'm using here, which is uh, David Stern's, does not have but between the word Moshe and grace, as if, as if it's a, 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 a contrast. I think that the contrast is an unfortunate translation in many Bible versions. 
uh, my commentary goes on to say that this was the fulfillment of the prophetic words of Yiramiyahu, Jeremiah, written in the 31st chapter of his self-titled book in verses 30, which is 31 in, in the um, in the other versions. I think there's a number numbering uh, difference between the Hebrew version and the English version. So, um, uh, 30, which is verse 31, and 32, which is verse 33. We read, quote, The days are coming, says Adonai, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Yehuda, For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. End quote. And says Adonai, I will put my Torah within them and I will write it on their heart. I will be their God and they will be my people. So basically, Yeshua, we know, is the one who establishes this, this new covenant. And yet it is the new covenant that the Lord spoke of in Jeremiah 30. Uh... Uh, we could we could also uh, say that the um, the uh, 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 the covenant that God made with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, he was really speaking of his son Yeshua. But they didn't understand it then. They didn't understand it then. We understand it now because we have the New Testament words in front of us. Okay, and the final attribute number six, as we're on the top of page one hundred nine in my commentary, the final attribute of Memra was that of being the agent of salvation. I'm sorry, the agent of revelation. The agent of revelation. Yes, he is the agent of salvation, but he's also the agent of revelation. Again, turning to John, John writes of this in verse 18 of the first chapter. So all most of these are in just in John, the first chapter. Verse 18 of the first chapter reads, quote, No one has ever seen God but the only and unique Son who is identical with God and is at the Father's side. He has made him known, end quote. And of course, this becomes a, a kind of a paradox because John tells us that no one has ever seen God, and yet we can read in in, in uh, Exodus, I think it's around chapter 24 or so, if, I'm, if, if, I'm, if my memory serves, that Moshe and the elders ascended the mountain and they saw God. So if we take these two verses at face value where Moshe says, that the elders saw God, and yet John says no one has ever seen God, the only way we can reconcile these two passages is either one of two choices. The critics tell us that one of the passages is wrong. The critics would have us believe that one of the writers was either mistaken or was lying. But with eyes opened by faith, we can see that actually the two passages are um, reconciled to one another when we realize that that the God that was being seen in the Exodus passage was more likely a pre-incarnate Yeshua, a theophany again, uh, the Word made flesh. And that's apparent to us as we read the passage out of John 1.18 here, that no one has ever seen God but the only and unique Son who is identical with God and is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. So Yeshua is the agent of revelation. He, he fills the role of the memra there. In fact, I go on to say, when Philip asked Yeshua to reveal the Father, what did Yeshua say to him? Quote, Have I been with you so long without you knowing me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? End quote. That's from John 14.9. So we see, as I wrap it up on this little section about the memra, my commentary says, indeed, as scholars have summarized, the writings of John confirm that John's understanding of Memra was not really Christianese, as many Christian authors try to let us know. They say, hey, look, John was really giving us things that no Jew in his day would have agreed with. But I beg to, give, to differ. According to the sages, there are quite a number of references using this mysterious Memra, quite a number of references, I've just mentioned six here, that equate the word of the Lord with the Lord himself and show us how Yeshua can fulfill this role perfectly. So, John's understanding of Memra was, in my opinion, 100% Hebraic. It was not uh, some new modern twist that John was bringing to his readers that was radical to the Jewish readers of his day. In fact, John affirms that Yeshua fulfills all six attributes and all Jewish expectations of Memra. If you want to get some more on that, then you can go back, uh, well, maybe you can go to the internet and just Google search the word Memra, M-E-M-R-A, and do your own studies there. So let's keep reading through my commentary. 
All right, so what have we learned thus far? What we learned is that Avram placed his trust in Adonai, right? The raw data gathered from the narrative tells us Avram placed his trust in Adonai. So we've got the raw data, meaning what the verses actually tell us. If we gather just this information from the narrative, then it tells us that it was the word of Adonai who received the object of such faith. To be sure, I say that Avram's response is unique, employing the moniker Adonai God. Adonai God. Um, if we look at footnote number 100, uh, I've got it quoted for you there again. Uh, we can see there it says, Vayomer Avram Adonai God, or Adonai Adonai, or uh, Adonai Hashem, as I said earlier. Um, instead of uh, Abraham, he doesn't merely say Adonai, like in, say, Genesis 14, 22. Let's look at footnote number 101. Um Unto the Lord, the Most High God, El Adonai, El uh, El El Elyon, or El Elyon, and uh, so we see, we know that Avram can say Adonai. We know he can say the Lord. We know he can say uh, Yahweh, Y H V H. But for for whatever reason, uh, Abram, of course, he out of his mouth comes this word, these two words. Adonai God, or Adonai Adonai, or Ad, the Lord God, or Adonai Hashem, however you want to render what, what's kind of peculiar in Hebrew. Um, let's look at a Jewish uh, source uh, re- referencing this particular verse. Sarna is going to, M, uh, Nahum M. Sarna from the JPS Commentary to Genesis, uh, the JPS Publication Society, on page 113, footnote number 102. Uh, let's read this quote. Sarna notes this shift in titles, right? Because Abram just changes the way he talks to God. And and this didn't escape the, the watchful eye of the Jewish sages, even though many times they were not operating under the, the power of the Holy Spirit. What does Sarna say? Quote, this Hebrew divine title, which is rarely used in the Torah, appears here for the first time. This is the first time we see it. It's, well, it's the first time in the... In, 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 um, in the Genesis narrative. Actually, I think it shows up, if I'm correct, in Genesis chapter 2. So, um, Sarna doesn't mean it, it doesn't appear for the first time ever. But, it's used in a context of complaint, of, pra- of prayer and request. Here, the word for Lord is Adonai, uh, my Lord, not the divine name of Adonai. And it suggests, it's you suggest a master-servant relationship. This is according to Sarna, by the way. Abram does not permit his vexation to compromise his attitude of respect and reverence before God, end quote. All right, so Sarna says that the Hebrew says, my Lord, and Adonai itself, the A-D-O-N-A-I, that I'm reading as Adonai, not the Yahweh. According to Sarna, um, this indicates a kind of a master-servant relationship. All right, but in comparison, let's, let's get another... Let's get, a, get another viewpoint here. In comparison to Sarna above, we must carefully note that the Hebrew text of Adonai, and for those of you who are in my live class, you can actually see, some of you can read the Hebrew. We've got the Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yod. These are the, the four Hebrew letters reading from right to left. Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yod, which uh, with the, um, with the uh, vowel markings underneath ends up being Adonai. It's a peculiar rendering itself. How so, do I say in my commentary? According to the Scriptures translation by the Institute for Scripture Research, the ISR, according to them, which I have to tell you, I'm not, I'm not 100% convinced about all of their resources, but in this particular case, I'm, I'm actually going to agree with their assessment of this particular passage. According to the original Hebrew name, Instead of Adonai, the name of YHVH has actually been amended by the scribes. It has been changed by the Masoretic scribes in at least 134 passages. Right? If you look at footnote number 103 in my commentary, this is from their explanatory notes, the emendations by the Sofarim, by the ISR. According to them, um, there's 134 places at least where the Masoretes changed what was originally written in the Hebrew. This means that, if they're, if they're correct, in 134 places in our existing Masoretic text, the Hebrew may read 
Adonai, so if you can read the Hebrew like I can, it actually reads Aleph Dalet Nun Yud, but the original word was in fact Yahweh Yud Hey Vav Hey. Are you guys catching what I'm trying to say here? So if that's the case, when I go back over to um, uh, Genesis 15, uh, instead of saying um, in verse uh, 4, uh, let's see, I'm sorry, uh, instead of saying in verse, let's see, is it verse 4? Vahine davar adonai a lively more low, let's see, the mates there. Where is where are the two words? Here we go. It's verse two. I'm sorry. Vayomer uh, Avram. So spoke Abram, and then here I'm highlighting in the Hebrew, Adonai Yahweh. So we've got the two Hebrew words. Uh, the first word being spelled Aleph Dalet Nun Yod, and the second word ring for Mike left being spelled Yod Hey Vav Hey. So we've got uh, two different Hebrew words here. According to ISR, originally. Yod Hey Vav Hey should be in the spot where we're reading uh, Aleph Dalet Nun Yod. That's what they're trying to tell us. Okay, uh, let's turn to another credible source here. Richard Spurlock, a, a, a good friend of mine who I believe is well trusted. Uh, Rick Spurlock of Bereans Online, a well balanced messianic website with a, a very nice collection of podcasts for downloading. He makes a similar observation in his notes to the course Messiah Unveiled. Let's pull a quote from his notes here. Quote, a most interesting feature of Genesis 15 is evident only in the Hebrew. In the English of Genesis 15, the two words Lord God are used in most translations. The English translation is that the English is that the English translators have up until this point used the scribal tradition of Kereketiv. Uh, they've used this tradition with regard to the Tetragrammaton. If you remember... Uh, this is Rick's commentary, by the way, Rick Spurlock's. The ancient scribes used a system of what we call circumlocution to encourage the reader to not say the holy name out loud. Remember, by the first century, we had this prohibition of saying the tetragrammaton name of God, the, the YHVH, to, to uh, pronouncing it as it is written. And the same prohibition basically uh, survived down to this day if you visit... Orthodox circles, indeed, they're not going to pronounce the name Yahweh as they read it in the text. They're going to say anything from the likes of Hashem um, to uh, Adonai to uh, uh, Adoshem or something like that. Um, they're going to mispronounce it on purpose. And so this is the system of circumlocution to encourage the readers to not say the holy name out loud. What was written uh, was the four letters of a yod, a he, a vav, and a he. In fact, that that rendering, the, a yod, a he, a vav, and a he, that itself is actually circumlocution. Notice it's not yod, he, vav, he, but instead yod and he, and vav and he. This is the, kind of a circumlocution itself. Spurlock goes on to say, under those consonants, the scribes, the Masoretes, they place the permanent kerikativ in the form of vowel points. So the vowel points here were for the word Adonai. Thus, the reader, uh, the Hebrew reader, when they came to the holy name in the text, like I'm showing here, you here, for those of you who are in my class in the Hebrew script, when they came to the holy name, they would instead say Adonai. And if you look here at uh, the Hebrew text here, um, instead of... Uh, oops. Instead of um, yod heh vav heh Yahweh, uh, they put vowel points under the markings that would amount to Adonai or something like that. So instead of saying Yahweh, we end up saying Adonai. Spurlock goes on to say, the English translators took this tradition, the English translators themselves, the Christian ones, they took this tradition actually to another level. Instead of writing the four letters, like we had in the Hebrew text, they actually substituted uh, L-O-R-D in all capital letters. Thus, this informed the reader that the Hebrew behind the word was, in fact, the holy name. So that's why, we, that's why for instance, if I go back over to, I think, the ESV, uh, you end up with Lord God. Uh, and if you look at Genesis 15-2 in the English here, Lord is L-O-R-D, capital L, lowercase O-R-D. That's the A-D-O-N-A-I that we read about in the Hebrew. But then we've got God here in all caps. So we either end up with all caps, L-O-R-D, 
like we have here. You can see in verse 1, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. When you see that in the English, this tells you that in the Hebrew, it's actually the YHVH. But then what happens over here? Well, we can't have capital L-O-R-D written twice, at least according to the translators we can. So let's see what Rick goes on to tell us. He continues, quote, When we get to Genesis 15:2, the translators ended up with a problem. The actual word Adonai is used next to the holy name. So the problem is that if they followed their translation consistently, it would say, Lord, Lord, right? We'd end up with capital L, lowercase o-r-d, and then new word, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, end quote. Which is a difficult rendering. Spurlock goes on to say, following the scribal tradition of circumlocution, which is word substitution, the translators simply write, Lord, God, right? Capital G-O-D. The G-O-D is in fact a substitution for the holy name in this case. Spurlock concludes, what is the significance of this word arrangement? This is the first time this word combination is used in scripture, right? Lord God, this thing right here. This word, com I think it is really, If I, I kept saying I think it's the second time, but if I actually go over to Genesis 15, 2 for a split second, uh, and let me pull the Hebrew, just bear with me for a moment. Yeah, it is the first time we use this. I was looking at Genesis 15, I'm sorry, Genesis 2, I've got the Hebrew pulled up for you. Genesis 2, starting in verse, um, actually starting in verse, really verse 4, let me see if we have it anymore, yeah, starting in verse 4, Adonai Elohim, and in the Hebrew right here, We've got Adonai Elohim, which is uh, the Lord God. But the Hebrew, Yahweh Elohim, we've got the tetragrammaton name there, Y-H-V-H, followed by the, the generic word for God, Elohim. Uh, and then if you continue down in verse 8, we've got the same construction, Yahweh Elohim, or your translators are going to put it as Lord God, but in English, Lord God, but in Hebrew, it's Yahweh Elohim. But if you jump back over to Genesis 15, then uh, that's when we see this, um, starting in verse 2, 15-2, Adonai Yahweh, or as Spurlock says, it should be Yahweh Yahweh. So yes, uh, uh, Sarno is right. It is the first time we end up with this translation in the Torah itself. This is the absolute first time that Moshe uses this peculiar uh, Hebrew construction. Let's keep reading uh, Spurlock's commentary right there in this paragraph. What is the significance of this word arrangement? Spurlock says that this is the first time this word combination is used in Scripture. This word combination is used in other places in Scripture, but not very often. So we need to investigate it to see if there's some connection between these two passages and if it is a messianic connection. And I think what I want to do is... Let's see... Do I want to read the rest there? I think I do. Um, nope. I don't think I do. I'm going to stop right here in our commentary. Um, and we'll pick this up next week uh, where we talk about what are we to make of this exchange of names and how does it relate to Yeshua and the Memra. We'll draw a conclusion next week to Genesis. Uh, I'm sorry, to Galatians uh, 3.6 as it's quoting this idea of the Memra and it's quoting this idea or it's referencing this idea of the word of the Lord, and we'll draw our conclusions next week. But for now, we'll leave you with this with this uh, with this information. John chapter one: In the beginning was the Word. The word was with God. And the Word was God. John one fourteen: The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Um, we know that this is, this Word of the Lord is in fact the Word of the Lord, and we know that this Word of the Lord is Yeshua. So I think we can safely uh, state with confidence that the Word of the Lord in Genesis fifteen six is in fact Yeshua. And we're going to see this uh, conclusion next week. But for now, let's close in prayer. And for those of you who are in the live commentary, if you want to stay with me for the next so, 25, 30, 40 minutes or so, down to the bottom of the hour, then we'll just entertain some questions and things like that. Let's close. Abba, I bless your name, and I thank you for giving us an opportunity to study. I thank you for uh, preserving the words for us. I know, Lord, that um, it is our responsibility to press in and to seek 
and to know and to understand. Lord, but you promised that you will uh, give us the understanding. If we seek your face, if we press in, uh, you, Yeshua, if we draw close to you, that you will draw close to us. We know that by your Spirit that these words are being made alive to us. And so we can begin to understand them, not perfectly, but we can begin to appreciate the fullness of them, especially since you have come in the fullness of them. You have revealed the words to us. You have given us your Holy Spirit so that we can begin to walk out the words, that we, we can begin to be a people living after your name and, and, and uh, living after your truths. Uh, continue to raise us up in these days. Continue to give us a voice, give us an opportunity to share. Help us to be uh, uh, um, not ashamed of the good news. Help us to, to have a holy boldness about us, uh, to share with those around us uh, the things that we're learning and that we're, we're studying. Uh, continue to heal us, Lord, and to draw us closer together as communities, uh, as like-minded individuals, seeking your word, seeking your face, and pressing in to ever know uh, your goodness and your mercy. Uh, be with us this week um, as we go our separate ways and draw us together once again uh, next week. We'll be careful to give you the praise and the preeminence in all of these things. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song were written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For more information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y E S H U A number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com. <laughs>